Are you ready to take your leadership in your organization to the next level and beyond? Your competitors will be there before you know it. Today's leaders must perpetually innovate their leadership approach, evolve their organizations, and grow faster than the competition. Welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet innovative leaders who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here is your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future. Today's conversation is about digital body language, how to build trust and connection. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help elevate the quality of leadership across the world and work with leaders to co-create a thriving future. Our work includes helping leaders to navigate disruptive trends and develop strategies to transform themselves and their organizations to thrive now and in the future. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. Today's show guest is Erica Dewan. She is the author of the very exciting new book, Digital Body Language. So today, Erica joins the show to share findings from her newest book that decodes the new signals and cues of effective collaboration and teamwork in a digital-first human workplace. You will learn to investigate and improve your own body language so that you can support a silo-breaking, trust-filled environment at your own place of work. You will understand at the end of the show that the language and punctuation that we use across all mediums requires that we are careful, conscious, and considerate, and always mindful of how our recipients might respond. So, Erica, start with telling us a little bit about yourself. I grew up as a shy and introverted girl in an Indian immigrant family. For much of my life, I struggled to find my voice. I, my parents spoke Hindi at home, and when I went to school, I had accented English. And because I struggled to speak up, I ended up developing a knack for observing others' body language, what allowed certain people to become popular, what allowed certain individuals to seem cool with their heads high or shoulders up. And over my life, I began to really learn how important body language was to build trust and connection with anyone. I ended up becoming an expert on body language and communication, taught public speaking at both Harvard and MIT, and for the last years of years have helped leaders and teams across global workplaces reimagine collaboration and communication now in a 21st century age. Brilliant. We are delighted to have you join us and help us as a person who both coaches leaders as they're transforming and also hosts uh, or facilitates a CEO forum. One of the biggest conversations is about as we go back to work, we're going to continue to be working remotely in some cases. And some of us have been doing this for a long time. It's been my hypothesis that that communicating digitally is different, but not better or worse once we know what we're doing. So you're going to fill in the gaps on a lot of that today. What is digital body language? Digital body language are the cues and signals we send in our digital communication that make up the subtext of our messages. Everything from our punctuation to our response time to our greetings, signatures, Zoom video backgrounds and beyond 
are not trivial decisions. They are signals and cues of trust, engagement, and confidence in our modern age. And just like in my own journey, I had to navigate learning the cues of traditional body language as an Indian immigrant. Today, we are all immigrants to the new world of digital body language. What that requires is for us to all understand not only what digital body language is, but decode the signals we are sending, even if we don't intend to, and foster cultures of trust and clarity, no matter the distance. So why write this book now? I can make assumptions about why I will read it now, but this was a big investment of your time and energy to to bring this book into being. About five years ago, after spending almost a decade coaching CEOs and leadership teams on how to implement 21st century collaboration skills into their workforces, I began to realize I kept getting the same pattern of questions. Why is there so much misunderstanding at work these days? My team members are feeling high levels of anxiety from emails. How do we fix this? How do we better connect across different ages and working styles? And what I really decoded was that there was no rule book for how we communicate effectively in a digital world. Research shows that 75% of communication is nonverbal body language. But in a world where already pre-pandemic, roughly 70% of team collaboration was already virtual. And in the last year, that has shot up to up to 100% for all teams that had the capability to do so. I realized more than ever, we needed the new rulebook here to stay on how we master digital body language. So give us some ideas of what good digital body language looks like. Because I think, again, many of our listeners are have things that are their pet peeves, and yet you've done significant research to tell us as a larger body of, of work, what is most effective. I'll start by sharing a poor example of digital body language to showcase how to make it better. One of my clients sent a message to his boss, Tom, that said, do you want to speak Wednesday or Thursday? And Tom's response was, yes. I like to share that story because reading messages carefully is the new listening. Writing clearly is the new empathy. And a phone or video call is worth a thousand emails. Digital body language requires us to understand how to value others' time, be conscious and careful in our communications, make sure that we're being consistent and following through in our messages so that others don't have to chase us down, and creating that culture of trust, even though it's difficult with the lack of tone and body language. So what does good body language look like in action? It looks like not multitasking during Zoom meetings. It looks like being clear and careful in our messages. It looks like having clear subject lines, not misspelling names, uh, not chronically canceling meetings, uh, or not reading agendas and having individuals have to chase you or follow up with you multiple times. In today's world, we've seen higher levels of poor digital communication than ever. And I think a lot of it comes from high levels of email anxiety, reading into messages that lack clear tone and context, as well as Zoom fatigue, where there are actually too many meetings and not smarter meetings. So my key message is that to use 
digital body language well. We are careful and conscious in a very different way. And just as we spent years mastering traditional body language in books and courses and on the job feedback, now is the time to master digital body language for our hybrid age. So do you think that we can be as effective digitally as we are in person? I'm, I'm hearing this conversation a lot where folks are saying, we want to be back in the office so we can drop in and see each other and those kinds of comments. And I'm curious to see if, you're, if you believe that is true. I would argue that we can be more effective using digital body language than traditional body language. This is one of the surprising insights of my book, but it, it really depends on if we are using these skills consciously. Consciously, And let's be honest, there's, there's uh, you know, nothing better than being in a room together, looking each other in the eye, sharing that joy and laughter that really creates magic in conversations. But I want to take a moment to have us all reflect on what has our year of digital engagement unlocked? It's allowed us to be less geographically biased of who's in the actual office and more inclusive of anyone anywhere to be part of the Zoom room or the phone call exchange in a way where we are actually much less geographically biased. It's also allowed us to be less visually biased. I'll never forget pre-pandemic, I was on a conference call. Three of us were remote, three people were in the office. And it wasn't until the 26th minute of a 30-minute meeting that someone on the, in the office said, does anyone on the phone have something to add? We had been excluded the entire time. Thirdly, it is also allowing us to be more thoughtful of introverts and extroverts. One of the most exciting things about digital meetings is the power of chat tools virtual written chat tools during the meeting. What we've identified is that, especially for introverts, they often thrive in writing instead of speaking first. And and we've identified that introverts are actually sharing more in a Zoom meeting because they can share in the chat box while multiple people are speaking, avoiding turn-taking, allowing more individuals to share at the same time when they were already struggling for airtime in the face-to-face office. I believe that if we build the skills of how to use digital body language consciously, we can be more inclusive in our hybrid workplace. Again, this will not reduce the face-to-face magic that we experience together. And I hope we can all be with each other soon. But at the same time, we must learn the skills so that we are truly inclusive of those in the office and those coming in on a screen in our 21st century marketplace. My assumption, one, for the last year, I have really appreciated the opportunity to be, quote, in a room with you across the country or with someone in another country. So speaking at conferences, I may speak in three days in three different countries. I, that wouldn't happen if I had to get on an airplane. It's just not physically possible. And it's not economical to pay the the travel cost to have me on a panel for an hour where I may speak for 15 minutes, but on a panel in, in my home, it's, it's accessible. So to your point for conferences and also it working with executives running organizations who have struggled with, we want somebody to be in a different office, but they have a working spouse, so they can't relocate. This now reduces, it may not remove the barriers because some spouses have jobs they need to be physically present for, and some of our clients do as well. 
and for those who have the opportunity to be hybrid, it just makes for the organization putting the right talent in the right seat, it seems significantly easier if and only if we are willing as leaders to accept remote tools and learn to get good at them rather than bouncing back and saying, now we all can be in the office, so everyone needs to be in from the old hours. I know you're working if you're sitting in a chair. How do you answer the question uh, about productivity and remote working? Is that part of your work? I've been advising many CEOs and leaders right now on their hybrid collaboration strategies as we move to the next era of the change in the workplace. And we've seen a big range of perceptions. The CEO of Salesforce said, we are now a work from anywhere culture moving forward. Uh, And I think there, there's a lot of room to truly honor and value the power of remote work. At the same time, we've seen leaders like the CEO of Chubb saying publicly, we are a work from office culture, and that's what we value. And and so I think that there's no either or. I, I think that the most common one is somewhere in the middle. What I think is really critical right now is for leadership teams to very carefully set their hybrid collaboration norms. And many of these are in my new book, Digital Body Language. For example, making sure that you're inclusive and thoughtful of who's in the room and who's outside the room but needs to be included is a critical skill today. So we all were face-to-face, most of us, and then we shifted Mm -hmm. to all remote. Now we have to adapt to somewhere in the middle. Some best practices I've been recommending leaders is, number one, if you were having team meetings that are hybrid meetings, have remote attendees lead parts of the meeting. Instead of having that visual bias of just looking at the one person in the boardroom making all the decisions who we tend to listen to more and agree with more simply because we have visual body language bias. Number two, when we are engaging attendees in the room and remote, use the power of the Zoom or video chat tool to actually have a conversation that avoids turn-taking in the same way that we've done for the last year. So a meeting host could say, I'd like to hear thoughts from everyone. Could everyone in the chat right now go ahead and share their thoughts? And 15, 20 people share their ideas in the room, outside of the room, you know, at their own homes. And then the host can call on people with diverse or different ideas. This avoids groupthink and it truly allows to capture cognitive diversity. And last but not least, I think that if there's a presentation, what I recommend is if you are presenting, start with a remote attendees sharing questions first. This again, removes that visual and geographic bias and creates that more centered level of inclusion. Those are just three examples of the power of digital body language in practice. And I think that if we begin to adapt in these ways, we can see a massive difference, not only for these new times, but for the better. So you talked about hybrid and I'm, I'm, uh, going to be running some programs that are hybrid. So I'm curious to, to understand the details. So say I'm teaching a class, 10 people remote, 30 people in person. And you said share and chat. Some The people in the room are not necessarily also on Zoom. They're present in the old-fashioned way. And then we've got people on Zoom sharing and chat. 
Would you have everyone in the room also on chat so they can see the conversations and participate like we did when we were on Zoom only? What I would recommend in that situation is to have two whiteboards, a virtual whiteboard for remote attendees to be sharing their opinions. I often recommend Mural, which is a great virtual whiteboard to okay. allow post-its of ideas. And then in the room, a group having their own live whiteboard brainstorming and then having the chat as an available resource posted on a live feed because you can project it so that those in the room can see some of the insights coming in from the chat as well. So I wouldn't recommend people looking down at their computers in the room, but I would recommend infusing the chat and the power of virtual whiteboards to be inclusive of those inside and outside the room. Great, because I, I am one of the introverts, and so I really appreciated, exactly as you said, I'm not always going to vie for airtime, and if I'm not participating, I'll get distracted and go focus on something else. So to stay engaged in participating in chat or finding ways to actively participate is, for me, required, and, and as you said, uh, multitasking is not polite, but it's also so easy to do when I keep seeing my email box filling up during a long conversation that I'm not participating in because I'm remote. Absolutely. I mean, I think that these are opportunities for us to be more innovative and more creative because of the power of the last year and what digital body language can enable for us. So are there any other things that come to mind? Again, the same scenario. So I heard then projecting uh, chat on the screen, making sure that I call in, invite in the conversation, not just someone here raise their hand, but have people on the screen raising their hand. And, and I should be as the facilitator watching both to the extent I can and actively calling on people on the screen. So everyone has to raise their hand to speak. That way, everyone gets heard. I think those are three tactical ways to en enable more engaged learning in today's world. Another example that I'll recommend is flipping the classroom model similar to Khan Academy. Uh, so some of you mm -hmm. may be familiar with Khan Academy where teachers are actually having children watch Khan Academy algebra videos at night which was normally the lecture. And then in the classroom, they would primarily focus on the homework so that they could engage and discuss. And I believe that this is a moment where, you know, recording videos in advance, asking people to watch them and then come to coming to hybrid meetings to focus on true engagement and discussion is more of a norm. We're much more used to video recording. Mm -hmm. And I think it can further deepen the experience when people come together. And that we are doing. We have them reading outside, watching watching podcasts like this, or listening to podcasts, watching videos. And so the in-class is intended to be engaging. So that's nice validation. And we're doing breakout rooms. So mm -hmm. 60 people in a room is too many to have a productive conversation for any long period of time. So a lot of breakouts and polls and chats. Anything I'm missing? I realize I, we have a listening audience and I'm, I'm assuming other people have similar questions that we're trying to move back into a hybrid model where, where we can we engage in person. Some of the most important things that I think are critical in today's age are to think of yourself, especially when you're hosting meetings, 
as less of an office meeting host and more like a TV show host. TV show hosts have always been very skilled at connecting on a screen and connecting Mm -hmm. in ways that brought in different segments. So if you're running a meeting in today's modern age, good digital body language looks like sending thoughtful agendas in advance with a good meeting title. So people want to come with clarity Mm -hmm. around whether people should be on video or not in the meeting, actively engaging everyone to participate instead of saying who wants to share, which usually just causes the extroverts or those senior to share first, which causes our own biases around who we listen to. Ask everyone to share in the chat or in a virtual whiteboard or whiteboard tools, and then call on people that have diverse ideas. And then at the end of the meeting, make sure you send a quick meeting recap or summary. Mm. I like to say that quick email 30 minutes after a meeting is like the new virtual handshake. These simple signals and cues can create rapport, build trust and empathy in ways that may seem trivial, but that go a long way in standing out in today's world. Beautiful. So we have about five minutes left in this segment. What else should listeners be thinking about in the areas that we'll just call good hygiene? That that just like I wouldn't consider going to work um, in smelly gym clothes, I shouldn't do these things now in our digital environment. I have four key laws of good digital body language hygiene. The first law is to value others visibly and valuing others visibly today is no longer about eye contact and taking a team out to dinner. It is valuing people's time, inboxes, schedules, calendars. So avoid chronic cancellations or constant double bookings or not reading people's messages carefully. The second law is to communicate carefully. Think before you type. Avoid those scenarios where you're choosing brevity over clarity and simple consciousness of our written messages go a long way because today we don't walk the talk. We don't talk the talk. We write the talk. The third law of good digital body language hygiene is to collaborate confidently. And confidence today is no longer about gregarious body language and being loudest or having a deep voice pitch. It's about being consistent in our messages, saying what we'll do, doing what we'll say, following through so team members don't have to chase us down uh, and don't have to constantly rework work simply because we weren't thoughtful at the beginning. And last but not least, the fourth law is what I call trust totally. And trusting totally today is simply assuming the benefit of the doubt, giving others a sense that you have... Assuming best intent, giving others the benefit of the doubt. When your boss sends a calendar invite with no subject line on it, you don't get nervous. When someone sends a passive aggressive here or there, you give them the benefit of the doubt. And if it happens repeatedly, maybe he'll just pick up the phone to avoid having a back and forth that can be confusing. So I really believe that these four practices value visibly, communicate carefully, collaborate confidently, and trust totally can go a long way in creating a more clear, just, inclusive workplace. So I'm taking notes, as I assume some of our listeners are doing. Um, Can you repeat those last four? It was value totally. Value visibly. Communicate carefully. Collaborate confidently. And trust totally. So trust totally. Again, I I think all of us have 
frameworks in our mind that we think of that create trust. And this is maybe a longer conversation, so we may talk about it after the break as well. How do we build trust in a digital environment? Well, first, I think defining trust totally. We feel a sense of total trust when we feel psychologically space, when we feel psychologically safe enough to speak up, we feel able to be, be vulnerable, and we feel that our coworkers will treat us in a way we want to be treated. It can be harder than ever to build that sense of trust behind a screen. And even in a hybrid meeting, a couple of things that I recommend are to regularly embed moments of virtual water coolers in your meetings. So for example, at the beginning of a meeting, going around, having every team member share one win of the week, one challenge of the week to break the ice. Another one of my clients has a process where each team member runs an icebreaker at the beginning, first five minutes of the meeting. This isn't long. And they bring their own creativity. Someone reads a poem. Someone shares a painting. Someone, you know, talks about an experience in their family. And it allows everyone to bring their own creativity and vulnerability. Another example is to simply just be vulnerable yourself. Share what you know, what you don't know, and where you need help. And lastly, if you're a leader of a team, ask for bad news. Oftentimes, team members don't feel safe enough to share difficult things with you. They want to share the good things. And one leader, Beth Comstock, had a regular practice as an executive at GE where in her team meetings, she asked for bad news. She said, I want you to tell me bad news I don't want to hear. And every team member knew they had to share something. So they were ready and it allowed her to better understand what was really going on beyond the surface. Beautiful. Thank you. I think the the specific tactics really help us take from construct that, okay, yeah, of course we build trust to what does that mean when I show up? And so it sounds like I also need to adjust the content of my agenda to build in the relationship building that would have happened naturally in a in-person environment. I think we have to realize that we can't robotically move from what happened into the office into the Zoom room or video room or phone call room. We have to take this moment to be creative, to ask ourselves what worked, what didn't work, and adapt accordingly using digital body language skills consciously and carefully. Beautiful. Thank you. So we're going to go on break now. You are with Maureen Metcalf and Erica Dewan, and we are talking about her new book, Digital Body Language, and how we transition from being highly effective in person to being highly effective in a hybrid and or all remote environment. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Innovative Leadership Institute is your trusted partner to create perpetual innovation and evolution in your leadership and organization. Are you ready to innovate and evolve? Since its inception, the Innovative Leadership Institute has been dedicated to helping leaders evolve their leadership mindset and skills and create organizations that can continually innovate to achieve results in a highly competitive and rapidly changing environment. We help leaders, management teams, and organizations identify and create the capacity to update how they lead, identify, and implement transformative solutions necessary to meet their mission and create strategic advantage. The Innovative Leadership Institute 
offers proven results backed by leading edge research and a global network of accomplished consultants and thought leaders. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Maureen and her associates are ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your goals. Move forward with the Innovative Leadership Institute. Visit InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com today. Tune in each week for the Labenthal Report with hosts Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. The Labenthal Report keeps you in tune with market conditions, investment opportunities, and outlooks based on the stories and headlines to keep you in touch with your financial success. Are you picking the right financial path? Find out by listening to The Labenthal Report live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. You are listening to Innovative Leadership, co-creating our future. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at InnovativeLeadershipInstitute.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future. Today, our guest is Erica Dewan, and we are talking about her new book, Digital Body Language, How to Build Trust and Connection. And I am so delighted, Erica, to have you here because I have a ton of questions, uh, as I assume most of our listeners do, that the good news is for me, I'm talking to you, so I I get to ask for your feedback. So a couple of questions we talked about over break. Uh, You mentioned backgrounds. So like most people, I have a home office and mine is, I have moved my desk around and it's been in different parts of the house with either plain curtains or a bookshelf or something else. What, not that there's one right answer, but what is effective and what is distracting? I'll share with you a few best practices that I think are important, not only for backgrounds, but generally when you're showing up in your video body language. Mm-hmm. When it comes to video backgrounds, I am I I am more um, I'm I'm less a fan of the fake backgrounds that often are used, uh, whether you know fishes or the beach behind you. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm a big fan of authentic backgrounds, you know, like your bookshelf or for me, it's just simply a wall and a whiteboard because that's really where I am. Uh, I think that what's important is to make sure number one, your background is not distracting. There aren't people or things or sunlight coming in that causes individuals to not to be able to see you. Number two, that you are centered into the camera so individuals can see you uh, centered so that they can engage. Number three, if you are presenting in a video call, I recommend looking into the camera about 60% of the time. According to research, we make eye contact about 30 to 60% of the time face-to-face. Let's be honest, it's much harder to do that. And I don't recommend you can do this all the time, but specifically when you're presenting to a group. Try to look into the camera, even though you can't connect with them the same way they can feel a better connection to you. And last but not least, make sure that you are far away enough from your camera where individuals can see some of your hand gestures and make sure that Mm -hmm. you're not too far that they can't see your facial expressions. 
Those are just some simple examples uh, that can help you showcase good video digital body language. So as you're looking at me on Zoom now, is there anything that's distracting? I have some kind of different art than some people. Well, I guess we all have different tastes in art, but mine looks slightly feminist probably. Um, anything that's distracting? I think that you have a great background, uh, Maureen. It's authentic. I may see a book from your bookshelf and ask you a question, thereby creating a connection or see parts of your plant in the corner and say, oh, I love that plant as well. Or maybe ask you, start a conversation about what that painting is and where it's from. This is some of the great things about the authenticity of our own video backgrounds. The only slight fix I would give you, Maureen, is if you were presenting to me, which you're not today, but if you Mm -hmm. were, I would ask you to center yourself in the middle of the video screen versus slightly to one side. That's it. Is that better? Yes. Perfect digital body language now on video. Which means I need to move my microphone and have that little weird black blob in the front. Uh, Thank you. So, So again, for people who don't see this, and we'll probably do a little YouTube snippet so somebody can see that segment. And I encourage folks to think through as you were listening to Erica, talk me through what I'm doing. So this isn't about me. This is an example of the questions I think most of us are asking about how do we balance authenticity? Obviously, if I'm in a, in a space that has a, a background that isn't appropriate, a bathroom or something, the only private room in the house in some cases, uh, clearly fake background better or kids running in and out, fake That's background right. better. But, but right. I have the same bias you do. I, I want to see where people are and the heads fading out or arms fading out are, are really distracting to me. Doesn't feel as natural. I'll be honest, as a digital body language expert, I have two kids under three years old, so I don't have a lot of rooms in my house in New York City. And so I work in a five by seven room that doesn't have a a beautiful bookshelf in the background. I have a whiteboard and two simple walls. But what I've tried to do is make sure that the way I connect, the way I speak, looking into the camera can resolve and create that culture of engagement. So I think my big answer is you don't have to have a beautiful background. Everyone is in different circumstances right now. What's important is to be thoughtful about how you engage. And when mm-hmm. we engage in the right ways, when we're not looking down all the time or multitasking, that will is what will really allow us to build trust and connection. And what I see when I, when I look at Erica, because again, this is a podcast, not a video, is I see a lot of hand language. So I can see gestures and and very authentic and and you've described it's a white room with a, a whiteboard what it isn't is distracting I, I even wondered about the bookshelf and the art rather than just white curtains behind me is this is the white curtain better I think it, it's also about knowing your audience and mm-hmm. uh, you know for you and Marie you know Marine for you and I I think this is a great moment for us to, for you to show your background and be authentic mm-hmm. because we can strike conversations as a result. But perhaps if it's a large presentation to a global audience, maybe choosing a clear brick wall can be helpful. Okay. Very useful. Thank you. And again, this isn't supposed to be about me. So let's now go into the next part of the conversation. And again, I hope people found useful 
the kinds of questions that I think we are all asking and really thinking about. And I know I've done a lot of reorganizing as I move myself around to find a place that feels professional, authentic, and not too unusual because I do have some art that is is not corporate art, but very uh, personal to me. So let's move to the question, what differences can affect communication habits? So things like gender and uh, generation and culture. Back in 1990, Deborah Tannen wrote a book called You Just Don't Understand, Women and Men in Conversation. It spent four years on the New York Times bestseller list and went viral. And I think we have all been familiar with John Gray's book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Uh, Communication differences are vast across genders, across generations and cultures. But what I set out to do with my new book, Digital Body Language, is provide some new rules for how some of these communication differences show up in a digital world. What I found, uh, let's start with gender, uh, Maureen. Mm -hmm. So what I found was there are many gender discrepancies that existed face-to-face that are now amplified online. For example, digital mansplaining is actually a scientific term that has been studied. Uh, You know, it is the science of certain individuals taking so too much airtime on video calls and email exchanges and in discussions. And what the research shows is that Uh, men uh, are more likely often to be short and to the point or have more of a masculine style, which is, you know, brief, assertive language, faster response times. And then there's a whole nother level that I'll call more of a feminine digital body language style of individuals that are more likely to use uh, emotive language, multiple exclamations, longer messages, preferring video versus, uh, you know, email and beyond. I'll be clear to say that this is not gender-based alone. Uh, Let's think of it as a scale of masculine digital body language to feminine digital body language. And I know men that have a a feminine style, and I know women that have a masculine style. We are not all the same, especially those that are gender non-binary. What is true, though, is that research shows that women still often feel more of the pressure to pepper their digital communications with exclamation points or emojis. Men feel under pressure to be more flat and toneless. And my general rule of thumb is to encourage women to be more direct, to feel like they don't have to add one more exclamation point, to just be themselves. And men to maybe throw in that emoji or two, you know, add a different level of engagement. And and I think that At this point, we're in the wild, wild west. We're learning these skills, but it's important to be conscious that there are these different styles, masculine to feminine, and what may be our natural style may be different from others. So we have to check our biases as well. One recent study showed that a younger woman who used multiple emojis in workplace communications versus a man in that workplace of any age, the woman was more likely to be seen as incompetent. The man was more likely to be seen as casual and friendly. And so I think some of this data is important so that we can foster more inclusion versus distance. So this would be akin to when I started working, how we dressed for women, and and I'm a bit older, so for women to be taken seriously, we wore suits, 
um, high collar bow ties, that stuff, so that we looked like our male counterparts. And if what was traditionally in a role was a man in a suit, then as a woman to be taken seriously, I needed to be a woman in a suit who was at least as competent and carried herself in a way that was comfortable according to the cultural norms. So it was partially about not breaking the norms. And if the emojis are, I want to say I have my own biases about people who use too many emojis and I do with friends in text, but not an email other than the got it, I'll send a smile, but it's not the bunch of stuff. Is that an age bias? Let's talk about generational differences in digital okay. body language. What I discovered is that, first of all, you know, generations are not all the same, right? Um, mm-hmm. you know, they're really a manifestation of the way the world is changing. Not all baby boomers are the same. Not all millennials are the same. Not all Gen Z are the same. Mm-hmm. But in my research, what I found was that there were different styles when it came to digital body language. There are what I call digital body language natives, digital natives really at heart, mm-hmm. for individuals that love the shorthand, emojis, multiple punctuation, you know, you name it, shorthand. They may never check a voicemail, but they'll send a voice note. The other side of the spectrum are who I call digital adapters. Digital adapters are those that grew up in the face-to-face world that still feel like immigrants to the world of remote work, more reluctance mm. with, uh, with technology. They look forward to getting back to those face-to-face meetings. I'll give you an example. My father is a digital adapter and I'm a digital native. My father is a 75-year-old retired physician And when he sends me a text message, it starts with, dear Erica, and ends with, love, dad. And I have to scroll through it because it's as long as a letter because he doesn't quite know that a text is not the same as a letter. And we are all on a wavelength. It's a spectrum. Some are digital Mm -hmm. natives. Some are what I call digital chameleons, kind of in the middle. And And then there's digital adapters. And what I found more so is that all these different styles have different preferences. And I'll be honest, digital natives are not just young. I know 50-year-olds that are digital natives and use emojis all the time you know, in their communication. They might be part of tech companies uh, or other, you know, other organizations versus I know 35-year-olds that want to have perfect communications with beautiful grammar and punctuation and can't handle it. So what I think is critical to think about is not only what is your style, I have a quiz in the book, a digital body language quiz so you can assess your style, but more importantly, how do you be conscious of connecting with those different than you to check your bias, to not assume negative intent. And for, your, for those digital natives out there, be patient. Don't, uh, you know, don't judge someone too quickly. If, uh, you know, one of the stories I heard from a digital native is if someone has an Earthlink or a Hotmail account, I instantly judge them as out, out of fashion, you know, not in not in the mode of understanding current current ways of working. And then I've, I've heard digital adapters say, say about digital natives, you know, they'll just try to chat me or I am me, ask me a question, and then they won't say thank you or follow up. Uh, you know, they, they think they can jump in and out of conversation so quickly. And the honest truth is that these are just stylistic differences. So if we understand ourselves better and others, we can avoid assuming negative intent and foster that deeper trust. So it is back to to your four points. One, the final one being trust, 
trustworthy and trusting. That's exactly right. And if we apply each of the four laws, the first law is value visibly. So if you are one side or the other, switch up the different varied mediums of communication. Don't just have phone calls all the time. Your digital natives will go crazy. They want email. They want chat tools and vice versa. Your adapters need maybe that video call or face-to-face meeting When it comes to communicating carefully uh, on both sides, don't read into communication, set some norms around them. Collaborating confidently is about making sure you know when you need to come together and when you can do things digitally. And lastly, trusting totally, I think, is a lot about giving others the benefit of the doubt because we have to be patient. We have to teach others. And those digital chameleons have to translate on both sides. So please define further the digital chameleon. I don't know that I caught that. Digital chameleons, I would call right in the middle. So on one end, it's really a spectrum, our digital natives. On the other end are digital adapters. Digital chameleons are what I like to call those that are fluent in both languages and are translate effective translators. One of the things that I've identified of digital chameleons are that they often know how to adapt to their audience, but you often don't see their authentic style very much. And Mm. let's be honest, a lot of this is about knowing how to engage your audience, adapt and adapting, especially based on the power and trust levels that you have with that person. At the same time, if you want to create more authentic hybrid cultures, you know, encouraging your chameleons to just be themselves as Mm. well can be helpful. So here's a question I've, I've had a lot and heard often is we can't create remotely the same environment we had in person where people would just stop by. So I run into someone in the kitchen or what, if I have a question, I can go down the hall and ask someone. And my hypothesis is, in fact, those tools do exist. We are, we just are not yet either using them or using them to their fullest impact. I would agree with you, Maureen. I think that Creating virtual water cooler moments is something mm-hmm. that is feels awkward and sometimes too scripted because what was implicit in traditional body language water cooler moments now has to be explicit in digital body language water cooler moments. So that requires us to have a different consciousness of how to create those moments and then careful facilitation so those moments are actually well used. There was a rise of a virtual happy hour in the last year, but I'd actually argue that many people got exhausted with Zoom fatigue of one more happy hour and didn't always see the purpose of it. So what I'd recommend is to create more intentional hybrid water cooler moments. For example, with one of my clients, we implemented virtual office hours, almost like co-working periods of time where everyone would get on a, a video call together and they'd be working on things, but they would have time to chat while they were working. So it was a space to kind of have that banter, like in the different cubicles in you know the office or other shows that we know well, but to be able to connect with intention and ask those one-off questions. And another team I know started 15-minute lunch breaks together. Again, we're back to back to back, but having intended time in the schedule where finally everyone was actually eating or drinking water on the video call, I feel like a lot of times it doesn't feel socially acceptable to do that, but everyone was eating together and having time to connect. It was actually good, not only for well-being, but for that office banter. And what I'd encourage as we go back to a hybrid model is to continue moments like these 
not only with individuals face-to-face, but also online. I love the idea of virtual office hours. And in fact, I do this with my business matter, not officially that way, but recently we've been on Zoom calls and I'll have to do something and she'll start emailing and, and we're both working, sharing a space, but not completely focused on each other. And I think that ties into another point you've talked about. It's the collaborating carefully. And we have a norm that says, it's not root. You don't have to sit and watch me while I'm typing an email to somebody, maybe even you sending you a document back that we can, can, and it sounds different than multitasking. It's, it's not that I'm ignoring you while we're in the room. It's we both break for five minutes to do a task and then come back together. It's, a, it's like a co-working session, a working session together. And I, and I think that if we create some intentional time for it, we can be even more thoughtful about creating those moments and including those that are new employees or don't happen, happen to be at the office cooler at water cooler at that moment uh, that will allow all of us to have more of those learning and, and developing moments. So to wrap up this question, because it, it is so frequent, we will be able to develop ways to work remotely or hybridly, some in the office, some out of the office, that are as effective, they're just different. So I love the idea that you talked about just, it's a new language, like moving to a new country, that you were going to learn English and you probably still speak Hindi. Now you get to do both. That's right. And even in different countries, there are regional dialects and different accents. So, you know, in my research uh, in, on, in my book, I talk about digital body language across global cultures. There are different meanings for the thumbs up emoji in Western countries versus actually in Nigeria, that emoji is a vulgar offense. Oh. Uh, there, you know, in certain cultures, I'll give you an example. One, um, one woman I interviewed for the book uh, is from San Francisco, and she just felt like her German colleagues were so rude in email. But it was just very common in German culture to be direct and to the point. Uh, mm-hmm. And then another uh, man I interviewed told me that, uh, you know, he, he was in the UK and he managed a team in Brazil and he discovered months into their working relationship that the team thought he was immensely rude because he never used emojis or emotive language, which was very common in Brazil. Uh, And he often started with words like, unfortunately, and ended with best regards, and they felt he was too formal. So Mm -hmm. we're in the wild, wild west, and this this is an emerging field and an opportunity, just like we spent years with traditional body language, to get savvy, because the future of work is here. It is here. And now I'm going back to, I answer best regards too. I wonder if I should stop doing that. Um, For some people, that's probably not as effective. So let's go to one last question as we're closing out. What are a couple examples of what leaders can implement to change their digital body language? So you talked about the four laws. Is there anything that is an absolute must that when you get off this podcast, you do something differently? I want to share three tips for senior leaders or leaders of any large or small organization to master their digital body language. And as a result, create cultures of true collaboration and innovation in our world now. Number one, 
Never confuse a brief message with a clear message. Mm. The pressure to communicate quickly can lead many of us to taking shortcuts, sometimes leaving out context altogether. It can have a massive impact on your teams. I recently ran a study that showed the average office worker is wasting four hours per week on poor and unclear communication. So be clear, not brief. Second tip, hold your horses. Less haste equals more speed. The Oftentimes, we are rewarding the fastest person who responds to an email or shares an idea in a Zoom call versus the best ideas. Take the time to slow down. Give your team members time to think. You know, even simply on a video call, say, okay, everyone take five minutes to think on their own. And then share your ideas in about five minutes in the virtual whiteboard. And then I'm going to call on people that have different opinions. This really avoids groupthink and often hearing from just the same five people. And last but not least, create different varied spaces so that everyone can find their voice. As I said earlier, sometimes introverts thrive in writing, not in speaking. So creating those moments for the chat tool, for email communication. One of my clients had a process where she, uh, she after a Monday morning meeting, she said, if you have another, another idea, send it to me on Friday. And she found that it forced many people to actually think properly and fully so that they would send something on Friday, not rush something to her on Tuesday. Uh, you know, another thing is is to make sure that we use these varied mediums to their full extent. And so knowing when to send that email versus when to have the video call because it's more complex can go a long way in ensuring that your team understands how to use these different channels in the right ways. So the three tips are never confuse a brief with a clear message, hold your horses and create shared spaces so that everyone can speak up. Brilliant. Thank you. So that gives each of us something to think about. So where would people reach you? Do you have a blog? How, how do they learn more about your work in addition to buying your book? Well, I think the, the first and best thing is obviously get the book, uh, whether it's Audible, Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, you name it. Um, share the book, gift the book to your boss or your friends or even your children. Uh, but if you want to learn more about me and, and my research and my speaking, you can find me at ericadewan.com, where I also offer a free digital body language quiz to understand a bit more about your digital body language style, as well as on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So please spell your last name so people know what ericadewan.com is, where it is. com is E-R-I-C-A-D-H-A-W-A-N.com. Beautiful. Thank you, Erica. And thank you to our listeners. I, As Erica said, we're in the Wild West. We are in some ways creating the rules and we're reacting to things as they emerge And for those of us who are really focused on our own leadership effectiveness, we need to communicate effectively. That's the uh, significant foundation to being competent and understanding, taking Erica's quiz, understanding how you're perceived and working to continue to understand how the differences are unfolding is paramount. So thank you for listening Please share our content with others like us and listen to new shows. Most of all, do the recommendations and continue to build yourself as an effective leader. We need you. We are in an interesting time in the world and everyone needs to be as effective as possible. Thank you again for joining us this week. 
Please tune in for another edition of Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope you'll join us then and have a great week.